from the Smith Mission Dependent, I'm Alex Woodall, and you're listening to Indian Air. It's Monday, June 15th, and this week I'm joined by my colleague at the Indy, Simran Tandon. Recently, the Black Lives Matter movement has sparked a conversation worldwide. Because of these protests, we sat down with Liz Folland from Potopians for Peace and Rochelle Horner, a teacher at Eastlake High School, to discuss the movement in our city. Our first guest today is Liz Folland, a co-founder of Potopians for Peace and also a former president for the organization. Liz, how are you doing today? Yeah, uh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here and talk to you guys. Um, I am doing as good as can be for our current situation. My family is well and healthy and we're emotionally and psychologically doing pretty well as well. So that's all good. So you are a part of Platopians for Peace. Could you tell us how that got started and what kind of activities you focus on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Platopians for Peace was born the day after the 2016 presidential election. And it was kind of in response to that election and how we're feeling. Our community has a large number of foreign born citizens. We have numerous LGBTQA plus teens and adults. So we are feeling really frustrated, but we're also feeling really worried about anyone who might be feeling marginalized. So we started gathering people and a lot of people showed up, started out just providing safe space to share, listening to people and how they were feeling. People were feeling feeling powerless and scared. We started brainstorming how we can empower them, how we can teach, how can we stand with our neighbors and like, how can we make Sammamish better? How can we foster inclusivity and compassion and activism? So Our goal was kind of formed into making our town welcoming for everyone, um, fostering more community and empathy, providing education and opportunities for our neighbors to pursue action for whatever it is that they're passionate about. And in some cases, we even would provide transportation and all go together to an event. So we have those events and the education aspect, but a lot of what we do is providing resources and creating partnerships. So we have, you know, LGBTQA+, special needs, religious groups, immigrants, refugees, healthcare, women's health, political issues. Our partnerships and our events are like marches and rallies and vigils and lectures and workshops and seminars. We have a committee called Neighbors Without Borders, and they are working to increase visibility in our community of neighbors from different backgrounds. There are, um, you know, like racial justice committee. They have provided family education events. They have a annual Ramadan celebration iftar dinners. They had cooking classes from around the world. And we also have a group of LGBTQA plus volunteers that offered resources for our local youth. And we actually had our first Sammamish Pride event last year where we gave local LGBTQA plus youth an opportunity to showcase their creativity. You mentioned that your organization puts on events. 
What has your nonprofit done in the past few weeks to help the community process the murder of George Floyd and other injustices that have impacted the Black community? Yeah, uh, so P4P is always working on inclusion, amplifying voices, widening understanding, building more empathy in our community. When there's something our members in our community are affected by or should be learning and doing something about, we're pretty quick to mobilize. We're trying to make it easy and not scary to take action. So in the past week, we've had multiple volunteers taking on different pieces to accomplish this in response to George Floyd and um, supporting Black Lives Matter movements. We've been offering resources, resources for parents on how to talk to their kids about race and activities for them to do together. We've been sharing events around the country like virtual visuals that educate our members about George Floyd and worldwide protesting. We are also providing sample letters and petitions for members to send to city council and their police departments. We created a proclamation of privilege and power for racial justice on change.org, which is already gaining a lot of momentum, which is really great to see. During this COVID situation, many events have been virtual, so it's been tricky to plan in-person stuff. We did have one in-person event, Honk for Justice, and several like semi-in-person. Um, for example, we encourage people to show support outside their homes with Chalk Your Walk, where they could spread messages in their neighborhoods of love and support for their neighbors. I also want to say like we're really thrilled by the enthusiasm from our youth community with their protest on Thursday. George Floyd! George Floyd! George Floyd! And we'd love to work with them and we want to encourage all Sammamish youth to get involved. Uh, more events are coming up, including an in-person visual mid-month. This will consist of a demonstration, rally, and a candle lighting. Speakers will include our Black neighbors and their experiences with and thoughts on racism and hate in Sammamish and on the East Side. It is important that our community know about these experiences and hear the voices of our neighbors directly. We're also hoping to have some of our local youth leaders speak there, and we'll have donation boxes for organizations helping Black Lives Matter. So, why is it important for a community to come together to overcome tragedies like this? So when people come together, we learn and grow, we advance ideas and inventions, we don't live in fear and we evolve. Um, it makes sense that we crave togetherness in light of tragedy, hurt, loss, exclusion, hate, all of which can be incredibly isolating and debilitating. We need to not feel alone in order to find our strength. So we also need love and belonging in order to be safe. When we feel safe, we're able to lean into discomfort, challenge ourselves and others, take ownership of what's ours, allow others to own what's theirs, and reach out to help and stand with others. So when community comes together, we learn about each other, find our commonality, form bonds, and foster more compassion, all of which build empathy. And empathy is the building block for moving forward. While we can make policy change happen, and we should, Racism and hate and isolation and lack of empathy are related, and these are interpersonal and community problems. This can only be addressed at a local level. You can't legislate empathy. 
We need to nurture it in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, and our communities. Change doesn't come overnight. How do we make sure people continue to take action long term? So people need to set an expectation that this is a long process. This doesn't end when we get some policy change. We need reconditioning. Our dream is that we can help set up a community in such a way that many of our efforts to increase inclusion, build empathy, and amplify voices becomes a natural part of how our community interacts. Until then, we need to think about how to keep going. Positive feedback and intellectual reward are important for people to feel that they're having an impact and feel good about their actions. When you engage in your world in a way that honors your truth, you always feel good. Many of us crave acknowledgement, validation, reward, and the harsh truth is someone will always disagree with you. And we're so afraid, we often allow that fear to cripple us. Community will help us feel safe, So it's really important that you build your community and put your support systems in place. Organizations need to keep offering ways to educate and be active. When you gather data, learn from others, consider your feelings and boundaries and the feelings and boundaries of others, and then make the best decision you're able, you'll feel rewarded, acknowledged, and validated by yourself. This will feed the reward center of your brain and keep you feeling good about your impact even when you're not sure if you're making one. It's also important that we talk about restorative actions, not depleting ones. It's important that impact matches effort. Up on the plateau, it's really common for us to be overscheduled and over-volunteering. People want to help so much, they easily overextend to the point where self-care is pushed aside. Reconditioning takes time, This is not a sprint, it's a marathon. We need to listen to our bodies, and when we're feeling depleted, we need to pause for self-care. Yoga and meditation breaks have magical restorative powers, but I've also learned that I need moments of quiet just to process. When I haven't processed, I feel a bit chaotic, unsettled, and without focus. Thank you, Liz, for taking the time to sit down with us today. Thank you so much for reaching out and having me come speak and asking such thoughtful questions. I think that we really just want to make people feel empowered. And like we were saying earlier, whatever it is that your passion is, just keep pursuing that. And if you need help figuring that out, that's okay. There's lots of support for how to encourage your actions and I'm always available to talk to people. Hey, I'm build a safe space for you to share, to vent, to ask questions that you might feel vulnerable about. And let's, let's work together to figure out what you can do with that. And in Girl Scouts, we're always talking about finding a girl's special talent and having her projects incorporate that. And so that would be the thing to say too, with being politically active, socially justice active. What's your talent? What do you what do you have? We talk a lot about time, treasure, and talent, right? You either donate your time, you donate your money, or you donate your talent. And so some people, you just gotta figure out what, what that is, and then other people can figure out how you can apply that to make a difference. Great, we'll be right back. India on Air is a podcast that complements the new digital newspaper, the Sammamish Independent, which provides community news that you can use 
right here in the city of Sammamish, Washington. The Sammamish Independent is brought to you by a team of students and community leaders who are passionate about keeping our neighbors informed of what's going on in our community. Check out the paper at SammamishIndependent.com. Our next guest is Ms. Horner, a teacher at Eastlake High School. Thank you so much, Ms. Horner, for taking the time to sit down with us. How are you doing today? You know, today is another day. It's been up and down. It really has been um, up and down. So today has been a good day so far, but we'll see as the day goes on. So you are the advisor for the Black Student Union at Eastlake High School. Could you tell us what the club aims to accomplish? So our mission um, with the BSU is to really better educate the school and community about Black history, Black culture, and the Black experience in the United States, but most importantly, to provide a safe space for Black students at the school. I you know, grew up here on the east side. I went to Redmond High School, and it was really difficult to be one of the few Black students at Redmond at the time. And uh, it's incredibly lonely. So when a few students approached me a couple years ago to start at BSU, I was like, absolutely, this is something that I would have loved and would have truly helped me make it through that social experience at Redmond. So that's our, our main purpose is to provide that safe space for Black students. Um, but we have those other secondary purposes to help the wider community better understand Blackness as well. It sounds like the work you've been doing with the Black Student Union has been really impactful. On a personal note, could you share with us how you're feeling right now? Yeah, so like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm not doing great. I'm not I'm not doing great. And I think that that's true of, of most of us in the Black community because this is not new, right? This is just the newest in a series of deaths, right? But to have, you know, four in that quick succession, so Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Tony McDade, one right after another, is gut-wrenching. And it just piles on top of the daily stress of just being Black every day. And then on top of that, you have so many people who are trying so hard to do the work. And in doing that work, they put a little bit more pressure on top of you by saying, share your experience, tell us more. What is racism? And it's just sad. For me, on a personal level, very difficult because I am light-skinned, right? So I have a proximity to whiteness that offers me a lot of privilege to distance myself from some of this stuff. I don't fear for my life on a daily basis. I don't receive the same type of straight-to-your-face racism that my mom does. And so seeing her go through this experience and really truly watching her break has been really difficult because she is so strong. So that has been the most difficult thing to, to, to watch that. So not great is how I'm doing. <laughs> Instead of constantly looking to the black community for guidance, what can the people of our city do to become better allies? Yeah, I love this question. And I find it a really interesting question, this idea of how do you be an ally? Um, and I really do feel like the city can be an ally by, you know, supporting the protests and, and doing that vocal advocation for the movement. But at the end of the day, and I think this is the most important part, 
none of that will actually end institutional racism. Just saying you don't like it doesn't make it like go away. <laughs> so what the black community is doing on a daily basis is really trying to tear down an unjust system. And we need accomplices in that. We don't just need like buddies. We need accomplices. Uh, I am definitely going to give you some suggestions, but I think the most important part is that everybody needs to stop asking black people to educate them about racism. Stop asking us to do the work for you. If you're not going to do the work, you are not an ally and you are definitely not an accomplice. I mean, maybe 50 years ago, it would be difficult because the resources weren't out there and the language wasn't out there. I mean, it was there, but maybe not quite as public. But with all we have now that is so obvious, right? Le reading lists going around. You could literally Google this and get your answers. So if you are somebody who really truly wants to be an ally, do your work first. And that's the most important part. But I'm a teacher. And so I am definitely going to list some things. Um, and even though that is an exhausting thing for me, I can't step away from it because that is also my job. So Number one, the most important thing is for people to educate themselves. You need to form book clubs, right? Form some reading groups and read books like White Fragility. So you want to talk about race, um, how to be an anti-racist. Um, there's a really good book that came out that I think is really appropriate for what a lot of the black uh, community is calling for called The End of Policing. And then obviously the new Jim Crow. So there's a huge list of books. These are the ones that I, I would highly recommend first. Um, two, you need to vote and you need to vote at the local level, at the local level for leaders, um, both in education and government and law enforcement who have clear racial equity commitments and policies. Equity policies in general are a really good thing because we know there are multiple systems of oppression, but race just happens to be one that our country doesn't deal with well. And so they need to have an equity policy, but they need to have a specific racial equity policy as well called out. And then do that again at the state and national level as well. But don't forget that local level because that's truly where most of this is happening. And then um, four, stop voting against racial equity programs like affirmative action. It did not go unnoticed by me, one of the few black residents on the east side, that the place I saw the most signs that were anti-affirmative action when that initiative came out recently was in Sammamish. Affirmative action is a racial equity program, something that's work, working to dismantle institutional racism. So again, don't say you're an ally and you want to help the cause and that you love black people and then vote against policies that are meant to undo all this stuff. And then five, find ways to use um, your significant wealth if you have it and your racial privilege to financially support um, groups and candidates whose goal it is to fight racial injustice. So like, again, going out to the protest is great, but some of us aren't able to do that, right? Some of us aren't physically able to do that, but you have other ways to get involved and these ways are still just as equally important. So donate to like the Equal Justice Initiative or the Black Lives Matter movement or the NAACP. So these groups are working to, again, dismantle this system. So those are just, really quick things you can do. Um, there's lists and lists and lists of other things you can do as well, but those I feel like are really important. How do you plan to address these issues and discussions when school starts back up in the fall so that the dialogue doesn't disappear? You know, it's really funny you ask that because I'm seeing a flurry 
um, within my teacher community of being like, oh, here's this, here's this, here's this. And it's so heartening and so frustrating at the same time, because where has this been my last 12 years of teaching at Eastlake? I walk into the building and this is what I do every single day in every single class I teach. So, I mean, right now I only teach a push and you comp, but whether I was teaching 10th grade world history or whether I was teaching on level junior humanities, this is how I taught through, this is how I teach through the lens of equity and specifically racial equity. So I think what I'm most concerned about is that this is going to be a flash in the pan. Like it's going to be quickly. Everybody's really worried about it and we're all sharing these things. And then we're going to start the next school year and everything is going to go back to what it had been. And so what I would hope is that it doesn't and everybody does kind of do what I do on a daily basis and teach through that lens of racial equity because we cannot dismantle institutional racism. We cannot dismantle institutional white supremacy without doing it every day, right? And the reason racial injustice and white supremacy is allowed to flourish the way it has and continue the way it has is because as an institution, we have kind of made it invisible by only talking about it, you know, when when another Black person is murdered by police or MLK month or you know, when we're talking about slavery, we're doing these pops and we're not helping kids connect the dots for how this has been a long line of one thing leading to another leading to another, right? We're not explaining how racial inequity and white supremacy is created, perpetuated and sustained by not just history, but then how that becomes institutionalized in schools in churches in our government. And that makes it largely invisible. And if we cannot see it, we cannot undo it. As an educator, and as educators in general, it's our job to create a more democratic and thus a more equitable and just world. So it is our job to bring and make these institutions more democratic and equitable, which means we have to bring to light white supremacy. We have to make it visible. And that is the first step to dismantling it. And then when if we do that with ourselves first, and then we do that in our curriculum, we're teaching students that are going to go into all these other different institutions, and then they have the tools to dismantle it in other areas of society as well, because they'll be given the awareness, the knowledge, and the skills to dismantle it. But if we don't give them that, we are only becoming accomplices in the perpetuation of injustice. That's a lot of really good information. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. We did invite Smamish Police Chief Daniel Pingray. Unfortunately, his office declined the invitation. They did, however, release a statement, which you can find in the background article associated with this episode on SmamishIndependent.com. Here's what else you need to know this week. Today, Monday, June 15th, there is an online event at 6.30pm hosted by Platopians for Peace, where they will be discussing how the Black Lives Matter movement is important in our community. To find out more, check out their Facebook page at Platopians for Peace. On Tuesday, June 16th, there is a peaceful Black Lives Matter protest scheduled for 5pm. They will be gathering in front of City Hall. Also on Tuesday, there is a Sammamish City Council meeting at 6.30pm. To watch the live video feed, go to Sammamish.us. 
In other news, the farmer's market is set to reopen after a break last week. It will be open from 4pm to 8pm and is located at the Red Barn. Finally, congratulations to all the students on the plateau for finishing the school year in the middle of a pandemic. This episode of Indie on Air was produced by Alex Woodall, Simran Tandon, Susanna Pryor, Lin Yang, and Julia Gudis. Our theme music was created by Ben Allwright. Special thanks to Liz Folland and Rochelle Horner for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Woodall. We'll see you in two weeks.